Here we are, the key issue, or key issue, the definitive podcast. Isaac Elliott Fisher, we made it all the way to, is this episode five? Five. We are here at episode five, and I'm super pumped for this one, Rand. We don't want to give too many things away. The hand gestures tell the story tonight. Oh, that's right. The hand gestures. I was doing Ultraman. I was going to do Ultraman. You, you, and I don't know if you did or not. I don't know. I actually do. Oh, man. Now I don't know if I did it right. Uh, it doesn't matter. The things that we're going to do tonight are going to be right. My name is Randall Lobb. My name is Isaac Elliott Fisher. We are from Definitive Film. You may know us from our movies, but you also may know that we are collectors of comic books and other things. And tonight, we're bridging the gap between some very collectible things that are difficult to get, some very collectible things that you can get, mm -hmm. and some things that a lot of younger collectors maybe don't tune into quite the same way. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we all, those of us who love fantasy art and fantasy illustration, like most of us know Frank Rosetta. I mean, he's like the the god of fantasy illustration, fantasy art. Um, but a lot of us know Frank primarily as a uh, oil painting fantasy illustrator and, and, you know, for his books like Conan the Barbarian covers and stuff like that, that was kind of what he was most known for. Yeah. But kind of prior to that, you know, going back into his history, it's sort of nice to get into some of the comic book stuff, a little bit of the magazine stuff that he he was known for at the very beginning, because he did a good chunk of his early career in comics and mm -hmm. newspaper comics, specifically newspaper comic strips. The strips, yeah. yeah. The thing that he's known for, let's get that overhead up here, Nick, if you could for a minute. Um, this is something you won't find at our friend's Cover Price, C-O-V-R-P-R-I-C-E.com, our friends at Cover Price. They have us hammered out with comic books and magazines. But these are how a lot of people know Frazetta, particularly the Conans. But he did the Edgar Rice Burroughs books that came out on Ace and those Lancers, of course. I just have a little selection here. He's famous for these paintings. And the painting and the collecting of the paintings is sort of like the story with Frazetta. But if you go back far enough, you find he got his start in the strips. And Isaac, let's go right all the way back. Well, we go all the way back. I mean, he's born 1928 <laughs> in Brooklyn. Well, only son, three sisters uh, in February 28th. And his only formal, I mean, like the guy was basically born with an innate ability to produce art. I mean, his it earliest- seems the case, doesn't it? Yeah. Some of his earliest drawings, I mean- it's hard to tell whether or not they really were at a specific like age, but the legend is is that some of the drawings that that are out there he did when he was like three years old, and he's got like airplanes in perspective with like the air the, the second airplane wing behind the airplane. You're like, how do you do that at three? My I don't think my kid could draw something like that at three. I couldn't. Um, but his only formal art education in his entire life he was started when he's eight years old. And the I've got it written down here the Brooklyn Academy of Fine Arts with the teacher Michael Falanga. Isn't that uh, Michelle? You know what? Sorry, you're right. Michelle Smalanga. Michelle? Uh, and uh, M-I-C-H-E-A-L. Um, and he only did that from the ages of 8 to 12 because um, his teacher died. And that's the only formal hmm. education he ever had in terms of art. He did then subsequently go on to like mentor under people um, at age 16, which is where we come right into comic books right away uh, because he starts working with John. We were doing this earlier. John. Yeah. G Junta. Junta. Uh, and he's like eight, 16 years old. And yeah. at the time, he was doing this little comic book character called the Snowman. Uh, and John was like, his his mentor was like, you know what? This Snowman character we've got going on is kind of cool. So why don't we bring it into the Bernard Bailey publishing that he's working with and 
basically his his mentor inks his his comic for him and so his first ever official paid publication of comic book art he's only 16 years old it's in right here in tally ho comics yeah bring that up there nick on my screen we got tally ho comics in 1944 december of 1944 now the thing about that it's it's a one page is it not uh, I'm not sure, but it's the cover. I, it's the cover story. I think it is a one pager, but there it is in the bottom left. That's the character, isn't it's, it? Uh, uh, all of it. It's this one. All yeah. these three. This. I'm not sure if this character plays into the story, but these these three panels here. This yeah. section. That's the character right there. The story is is a bit blurry. I don't remember hearing this. And by the way, we know a little bit about Frazetta because of our Conan documentary. That's right. And we're lucky enough to spend some time at. A, a Frazetta Museum in Stroudsburg with Frank Jr. And we were lucky enough to have a conversation with Sarah Frazetta from the Frazetta Girls and talk about their their father and grandfather and got some perspective on some of his work at this time. And there are a couple things that are hard to source. Did he do the whole thing? Was he, you know, inking or penciling in combination? He did some stuff with Al Cap, did he not at that time? Well, no, Al Cap was later than that. That's when he he started ghosting for Al Cap after some of this this era. Um, this Yeah, this is 44. Yeah, yeah this is when he's like Tally a 16 Hill. year old boy. So, I mean, like a lot of this is legend. Like with Frank, there's a lot of weird legendary, like, you know, did this happen like this? Did it happen mm. like that? Um, and I mean, but I mean, obviously, for a first publication work at, at six, age 16, this is like technically speaking kind of the first ever Frazetta. And according to, to cover price, this is a really attainable key issue uh, for what it is, in my opinion, con- considering how much some of his paintings go for. That's You're crazy. looking at like 250 bucks, 300 bucks. I mean, low grade. I mean, you can, it's really hard to find anything of any substantial grade of something like this. But, you know, a 4.55 you know, that's that's pretty awesome to say you could you could land a potentially land the very, very first published Frank Frazetta for it's, a few hundred bucks. And again, this is one of those ones, no one's 100% sure what he did and, you know, to mm-hmm. what degree. And it's difficult back in those days. Another one of his mentors was Roy Krenkel, yeah. who is, you know, very well regarded for his covers. And we do have a, a comic panel that Roy Krenkel did. We'll show that later. But when when you're working with people like that, young as he is, and he's from the city, he really has to generate a lot of his art has to come from inside himself, right? He was probably absorbing a lot of material, but he was early enough in comics that, you know, he's looking at people who are known for creating comics. Like he's so early in, comics have been around maybe in the way that we think of them for eight or nine years when he gets his start. So, And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Rain, but I think Crinkle was an editor uh, at one of the comic companies. I think when he gets working for A1 Comics, he he was doing some the Ghost Rider covers, which are phenomenal. You're talking about Crinkle's covers? Uh, no, Frazetta's. Frazetta's covers, Because I right. think that's where he kind of mm-hmm. meets Crinkle, I think, but I might be incorrect on that. Well, Don't quote me on we'll it. do another, maybe another talk on Crinkle another day. That's right. I'm yeah. not read up on him. I have the one page that we want to discuss. Right. But we should jump into Treasure Comics number seven. Because, yeah, it's his first ever solo work. Which is the Thunder? No. No. I have. Oh, that's right. That's right. But I have the actual pages here so we can cut to those and talk about there's something particularly resonant about that. I think this Treasure Comics 7 is a really good buy right now. Now, look at this, Isaac. This is page one. Yeah. It's a four-page story. Give us two, Nick, and then three. Right? It's just very typical. Three. And then four. Yeah, first ever solo work. And That's look right. at this. This is the last panel. 
Yeah. Is this relevant now or what? Why, no joke. Can you read that? I can't read it from my, my angle here. And the dream of William Penn is not dead, for the hope of America lies in those who believe in brotherhood in a nation where all men can live, and live work. and work happily without regard to race, creed, or color. <laughs> and then he drew this. When I saw this, I couldn't believe it. I thought, okay, this is from 1946. Yeah. After World War II, you have a very young Frank Frazetta doing this very resonant today panel, particularly that last panel. And Nick, do we have also the next one? There's another There's another treasure page there to pull up, I think. The one page, com no, back one, sorry. Maybe we don't have that one. No, we don't have it. But he also did a, a, a four, I think a four panel one pager in that same edition. Yeah. So if you buy Treasure 7, what do you get it for these days? Do you Ooh, know? I'll bring that up because actually it's funny. I did not have that one as ready. Oh, you didn't have Treasure well, I 7? Had it, I had it up and I switched my computers. My apologies. Treasure. Okay. So here, uh, give me a moment. I'll give you a moment. Here's why I like it. I like the messaging in it. Mm -hmm. I like that it looks a little bit like the classic comics of that time period. It has this sort of old-fashioned style, but it's very liney like a Prince Valiant or something like that. Like it has that very much of its time feel. And I believe the Treasure comics were collected together to be sort of like um, strip comics bundled together. Am I not mistaken there? But that's what the whole point of Treasure was. Yeah, I think so. Here we go, number seven. I'm sorry, pardon my, I had this totally right. uh, ready to go and then I lost it. Here we yeah. go. Okay, so up on my screen. Yeah, so I do remember this cover. It's kind of a unique cover. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and they're they're, Fantastic! The all the different covers and treasure. Actually, they're very. I don't know. They're like they got some you know very circusy covers. They got very. This is a wild fantasy kind of. I, I don't cover. Yeah, the cover's not him. No, it's definitely not him. Yeah, but for it's, sure. But like just in terms of the flavor of the time. Very trippy. Yeah, it's very trippy stuff. And so, what's it go for? You're talking eighty nine bucks is the average raw value. So um, that's a buy. Yeah, it doesn't have a doesn't have a sales data on this specific one. So. So it's just yeah, ninety bucks. If here. you see it anywhere, you snap that up. Oh, that's that's the first yeah first solo work right there. That's that's a pretty key issue, nineteen forty six. But you did throw up that Ghost Rider. That's right. That was a one. And yep. that's a one thirty one. That's from January 19, 1951. That's just a Frank Frazetta cover, I believe. The interior. yeah, this was just he, like that's the thing is that really in comic books, <clears throat> primarily what we're talking about in many cases is just the covers. Uh, I pulled this one up because it's one of my favorites. It's and, so good. Yeah, and if you get into the line work specifically with so many of this, these covers, if you pull out the color, the line work is is phenomenal. Now, unfortunately, there's no sales data on this specific book, um, but he, he at the time, wanted to really be a storyteller for sure, but he was so, his, his work was so polished and refined, obviously he was being thrown into to covers right away uh, and not doing a lot of interior work until he was doing strip work. It's uh, also a time, by the way, where... The art was considered sort of throwaway, like mm -hmm. <clears throat> being being hammered by an inker or a colorist was not abnormal back then That's for right. a good penciler. Mm -hmm. And this is also not the Ghost Rider that everybody thinks of, obviously. Oh. This is Cowboy Ghost Rider, yep. not the Ghost Rider that we see in Marvel many years later, early 70s, I guess, Johnny Storm. Um, let's jump to the next a1, because you're a fan of Thunder, and you want to talk about how the colorists seem to bash some of that line work. Well, I don't know too much about how it looks in the interior, because I'm pretty sure that the interior is, um, 
is still printed black and white. But yeah. this is talk about unfortunately counter to to the 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 that little solar work you showed showed before. This is not a very um, PC cover. Uh, we're not definitely all. in a time and place when certain imagery was accepted where it's no longer uh, for good reason. And obviously Tarzan was a huge thing and there was a lot of ripoff um, Tarzan content or, or copycat Tarzan mm-hmm. content. As far as I understand it, what he was trying to do and go to my overhead uh, camera here, Nick um, is um, as I understand it, he was trying to take this Thunder character um, and this is, here's a nice reproduction or reprint of the line art for that cover. Um, and it's maybe hard to see on on this camera, but it, mm. you can start to see that incredibly fine hatching work that he does, uh, which he's very known for. But this is a very interesting book because he did the whole story. So yeah. again, not necessarily. I I I can't say that it's for sure or for certain, but it seems to be the only published book comic book that he did cover to cover. Uh, the the penciling, the inking, or so we believe. So we believe. So the idea with this specific Tarzan lookalike is that he had him obviously battling out with some big um, monsters and dinosaurs. I love this, this frame right here. It's so that is, that is like such a Frazetta look Mm -hmm. that something Mm -hmm. shows up a lot later that looks like that. And as I understand it, this is where I believe that Crinkle was an editor because I think he was being told, don't have this Tarzan character battling these, fantastical beasts let's bring him back to a more traditional african jungle so by the end of this first um issue of this specific character um they have him going back to a normal jungle and then the rest of the issues were supposed to be just that and then i think something happened again legend goes that um the rights are be uh, get sold to i think universal or somebody uh some i don't know if it's universal but one of the, the movie houses in hollywood and then he didn't get any money for that so he moved on um, and this is a it, it's a tough time for an artist or a writer in comics. That's Two, was yeah. that early fifties, nineteen fifty two, January yeah. fifty two. So it's again, it's disposable. It's yeah. not considered important, and it's all to the publisher. You are a work for hire, so in you go and do your work. Uh, that one you said there's no data on. There's no data on this, but what I did do is I pulled up just just real quick on on eBay, and there's slabbed books that are three or a six and they're like a three is 1300. Uh, a six in the, on, on eBay is 2300. Uh, an ungraded or on slab 2.0 is 927. So yeah, it's not a cheap book. No. Um, but it's, it's an important book in his, um, history because it's his, maybe the only comic that he did front to back. Yeah. And it's one that these, I mean, if you find it in any shape, you need it, mm-hmm. and you you won't find it. It's not easy no, to find. No, but these they're so out there somewhere. Things. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk very quickly about the famous funnies in a row. Absolutely. So I'll just give you some oversight, and then I know you specifically want to talk about two thirteen. But it's the first comic book sold on newsstands. Think about that. So this is a title that's a bundle together again. It's like taking the funny pages out of the newspapers, bundling them together, thus famous funnies. And that collection started all kinds of things that we know. I have noted here Joe Palooka, Buck Rogers. Um, Lance Kirby got his start there. 
You might know Lance Kirby as Jack Kirby and Al Williamson. So two really great artists aside from Frank Frazetta got their start in Famous Funnies. Famous Funnies, a great way for young creators to get their work out there into the world and look at that cover. That's 213 there. That's But before we get to 213, come over to, to my cover price uh, here, Nick. I, I wanna, oh, you want to do the Buck Rogers? Well, not yet. I want to sort of give some context to what you're saying, because basically this is the kind of thing you're looking at. Like you're looking at famous funnies, much yeah. like you're saying. They're, they are comic strips out of the newspaper. And on this page, actually, I'll go up to the top. Um, this page particularly, I brought up this one because oh, this yeah. is a Buck Rogers cover that wasn't done by him. No. So it's done prior to him coming in. So this is what what people are used to seeing when it comes to Buck Rogers. They're like... You know, this is this is comic books. This is what it's supposed to look mm -hmm. like. And then this guy comes along and goes, no, no, it's going to look like this. Okay, I want to say what I think when I see the difference. For me, it was like the old style looks like a play. Yeah. And his style looks like it's way more blown out. Now, I don't want to say like a movie, but it's much more imaginative, much more popped. That's right. Everything is exploded for maximum effect. Yeah, come back to that one there, Nick. This is this is a phenomenal one. And again, if yeah. you go to my overhead camera, you'll see these books look great, but when you when you see just the line art on its own, it's absolutely phenomenal. Like like I'm not sure if you can if if the camera can even appreciate. It's tough, isn't it? Yeah, because it's so so fine, so refined. Like if I can get close enough that it will focus. Look at the detail in the ape in the ape's bot or the ape, I don't know what he's an underwater ape. You know, him. you know, the underwater yeah. apes. Yeah. Like just, this is, this is where, you know, he's really starting to, to, um, come into his own, what, what, what he's known for in that amazing pinnacle of action, uh, composition, the use of black and white shapes, um, to set and frame things. It's just, just phenomenal. Um, those covers. You also see his layouts like yeah. his his uh, initial design and how much impact there is there. But listen, since we're early 50s, it's time for you know what? Give me the overhead. Wait a minute, though. No. Come back to Buck Rogers. This this is so this is so specific. What do you think of oh, I know when you, you see that? Sorry, we didn't talk about Oh, this. come on. Like what is what is that? Um mm. I think of a trash compactor. Mm, yeah, maybe the 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 ship of some the the the, the doors in a very famous Falcony type ship and a furry uh, co-pilot. I think of a star. I think of a war. Yeah, these type of uh, things. Like, come on. Like, if this isn't the predecessor to the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> like, I think the way to say it is more like, did George Lucas see this? Maybe. But was it part of the atmosphere that George Lucas grew up in? Probably. Yeah, I, I would almost... He probably, I'm sure there's some quote somewhere of George saying, Oh, no, no, he saw this. Well, George Lucas was a fan, oh, known, yeah. known to be true. We know that. Yeah. But now we can go to uh, the weird science. Let's, let's, let's look go at the 50s. It. So now we have the overhead. Here yeah. we go. Yeah. So this is Isaac's and this is mine. Isaac and I had different choices that we made. <laughs> I, I will admit I lucked into this. Now, do you want to talk about why you bought it? Uh, well, I mean, this, this, this specific issue um, is oftentimes credited as one of the best or greatest comic art cover pieces in history. Um, yeah. And, and that uh, 
Actually, the amazing thing is that the month that that book was printed was my father's birth month. Um, yeah, and, and I think he's in here. Somewhere. He's in there. He's yeah. somewhere there. And so, as one of the most, uh, one of the best comic pieces in history, you know, of course, you want to have you want to have that. Is one of uh, you know Frank's best comic covers, obviously. Um, yeah, and you want it in any shape. Is any what shape. The point is so. So that's the, yeah. To get to the point is the fact that. I made the choice of, okay, I'll buy it in any shape. And I found it online and, and, and I, yeah, it's not out of the plastic there, but like the cover is literally removed. I have pulled it. Some, somebody has, has like used ballpoint pen to half shade the title yeah. for some reason. That was still a hundred dollars. And so it's, it, and it's, it's rough. It's, it's rough. rough. I got this one at a show and the show was over. So there's a small bit of color touch there's a little bit of action on the spine. Somebody was trying to clean up the spine, but the cover, the color on the cover was so beautiful. For a 3.5, I think I paid 200 for this in That's and around 200. a lucky get. It's a good get. Yeah. Um, I mean. You need this one if you're in our line of work. Yeah. And we should point out, we've spent some time looking at these pieces up close mm -hmm. in different museums and different places where we've been. We've been very lucky. Uh, you sat at his Frank's easel and yeah. where he worked. So you've been right up close to this. Can you point out some of the things about this that make, like when you get up close to yeah. things like this, can you give us an overhead there for a second? Yeah. In there, Nick? Yeah. Look at Isaac. Oh, Look. there you go. That's, that's <laughs> a great piece. We yeah. get up close to these things. Yeah. So that this unfortunately, obviously that's not the real one. Nope. The real one would be bonkers. But that particular print is fantastic find because, uh, the, well, the story goes is that Frank, after his stroke late in life, he was he was teaching himself to paint with his left hand again. Uh, well, again for the first time and sign and that's sign for the left hand. So this was a hand. print of of this particular piece, and he was um, basically coloring it in as a practice or for fun. Uh, to see what it would look like in, in hand colored, um, that piece in particular, one you know, the closer you get, I think actually to to um, to give an example of how important that piece is or how powerful it is, um, the artist William Stout that we know as well um, through other documentaries, he did a spoof cover for something where he replaced Buck Rogers with like a moose character, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think he tried to replicate that piece kind of brushstroke for brushstroke and. He says basically it upped his game exponentially just by simply just breaking it down. Just breaking it down because when you break down the layout, the, the how the contrast and the black shapes move through the piece. Um, I think I have it. I had it here. Now I've lost my bookmark. Um, and and obviously the the action and the motion of the characters. Um, the the action and the motion of the it's characters. very detailed. It's very um, intricate in terms of its action as you get close to it. Yeah, that's yeah. A nice, that's a nice reproduction. Yeah, and and I mean. It's just that that way that you can you can take absolutely any position of all of the characters and there's uh, two, four, six different characters in this one piece, and every limb and every finger, every weapon, every arc of everything leads you back and around in mm -hmm. circles, and it's a beautiful example of how he would he wouldn't just use straight lines to tie things together. It's arcing bringing you around the eye around to all these different points of focus and really obviously selling. Now this is a, a piece where he has, did change um, Buck Rogers helmet. I think at one point. Mm -hmm. um, and even the way that this, that this, the black shading comes up and through here at just the hair, 
on the Neanderthal being knocked up. I mean, it's just well, amazing. he was famous for making adjustments to stuff changing radically. After the fact. Oh. I just want to point out. Uh, I have another thing here. Can you give us an overhead again, Nick? This is the other comic that's often described as one of the greatest covers of all time. This is a Ditko's, The Amazing Spider-Man 33. Um, we'll put them side by side. I get why people say that. I mean, the Ditko is very beautiful. I love the color. It really pops. This was, I believe, an article in Screen Rant. So everyone's got their own opinions, but I happen to have this amazing Spider-Man. I thought it's nice to see them side by side and to see the color work and the details. If you're a collector, Isaac, and yeah. you want to pick up weird science fantasy, I mean, we don't have to check. We'll talk about Amazing Spider-Man another yeah. time. Um, this I got this for a song yeah. or I wouldn't have bought it. But this, it's hundreds of dollars. What is this going for? Uh, so at the, at, at the lowest graded recorded on cover price is, is a two. Um, and that's, uh, 230 to 200, well, yeah, 230 bucks. Right. Yeah. Three, 315. Um, yeah. So it just goes up and up, you know, in the four and a half, you're already into 500 bucks ish. Uh, the highest graded on here recorded is, um, as a seven, which was recorded at $1,500, uh, which, which is, you know, you can't find this in any shape. No, it's tough to see. It's tough to see it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I mean, it, it, it's worth it. I mean, that's just when you when you really look at it, it's it's a very very important piece yeah. of, of art history. I think. Let's jump to Blazing Combat. This is from the year I was born, sixty five. Yeah, Blazing Combat. What a great example of his. This is this is we're we're definitely oh no now here's the thing we're jumping into his painting yeah which is, this which is, is a jump on. this is a jump and we're gonna go back a year after this but but I we were talking about this before if you go to the very last three pages yeah, of that book I know I'm you can kidding. see the four paintings he Here did and this was like the like obviously war comics were were sensationalized yeah but this and, is a very this magazine is not it's dark yeah it is not the same vibe yeah like the paintings are intense obviously. Yeah. But this third piece, if I'm not mistaken, is from the Vietnamese point of view. Like yeah. this is basically uh, the horrors of war in a time when people were still gung-ho for Vietnam. It's a very, uh, I would call it a progressive, almost surprisingly progressive series of... of and you can feel that in the covers. Like that... That one where where the, he, the you know the soldier here I'll bring it up on on yeah. uh, on um, cover price is that one where the soldier's like holding that yeah one. that one you can like as much as it is there's heroicness to it you feel the pain oh it's miserable of those guys like it's just it is miserable yeah it's like, miserable absolutely just jaw like it's just yeah it's gut wrenching and I mean in the one that where it's sort of like a, a Nazi uh, that one it's, it's almost revolting even yeah. the feel and it's because there is a there's a slight cart. Now, I hesitate to use the word cartoonishness, but it's you know in the in the gesture, but it it still doesn't feel sensational to me. Well, no, look at the I mean. Yeah, it's just it's, it's horrific. horrific. It's yeah. it's very cost of war. The last one of the that four run, this one's a little more cartoony. That's the right. tank one. Yeah, and I don't know. It almost is like he got notes. Yeah, you know, like hey, you know what? But the death on top of the tank still to me, yeah. I feel the visceral yeah. realness of the, and it's, but that's classic for Frazetta. He's push, he pushes the human motion yeah. to the extreme, but just on the edge of it so that it feels 
re- it, it feels more real, even though it's slightly less real. It's like giving Conan's, you know, five sets of abs instead of, you know, it's, it, it's pushing that extreme just a little bit um, beyond reality. And, and, and it just, it pulls you right in. You, you tell me, are those in cover price or did they we are, find uh, they They weren't? are, and they're actually in cover price, both, both as the original Warren publications. Oh, really? And, uh, and as the reprints as comics, because they did subsequently come at a different size. Uh, this, this one, uh, the July printing 1965 issue one, uh, raw comic is 275. Um, it's an attainable, uh, uh, highest oh, wow. known uh, uh, raw comic value at 608. Um, so they're, they're not cheap, but they well, they are phenomenal co- uh, covers, and as you me, say, a different look at war comics. Totally, sometimes. and listen to who's in it: John Severin, Wally Wood, Russ Heath, yeah, Alex Toth, Al Williamson. These are considered who's who, <laughs> yeah, and, and the best war comics ever yeah. made. So, yeah. you go out to buy these, you're going to pay quite a bit of money. Uh, Joe Orlando, by the way, yeah, uh, R- Archie Goodwin was the so story. exactly for so the interior artists alone. Really good. Uh, really good. So to jump back a year in October 64, there's a Mad I, Magazine I know why. I know why we want to talk about this. Yeah, this is a funny Let's one. Let's get the cover. Yeah. And because you're going to say, oh, yeah, that's not a Frazetta. No. And if you f- go through the whole thing, you don't see a lot of Frazetta. Huh? But as you are done. Yeah. Isn't that funny? There's a Ringo Starr. And I, th- I will say this. Blech. He... <laughs> Couldn't have captured Ringo any more hilariously. It is so somehow so perfect, yes. isn't it? Yes, and that that there, this is the beginning or or a good representation of Frank doing this cartoony, yeah, really fun, uh, really on like on the nose, yeah. like just perfect. Uh, and and the idea or the legend here again, there's a lot of legends in this guy's <laughs> story, is that um, I think it was United Artists see this back cover yes. fake ad and they're like, whoa, this guy should do caricature movie posters. Mm-hmm. So I think it was What's New Pussycat? I think it was the first one he did. And, and yeah. it kind of the story goes again that he was doing this comic book stuff. At this time, I think he was ghosting for Al Cap on Lil Abner and you know, basically making a modest, probably rather modest career in, in Brooklyn at the time. Uh, I think maybe maybe he had done sort of his cartoony um, animal comics and I think he was almost poached by Disney but he didn't want to go um, out, out west. Um, and so United Artists sees that back cover spoof ad with Ringo Starr on Mad, and they're like, whoa, we should get this guy to do movie posters. And then in one job, he's making as much as he made in an entire year of doing comics, doing just one poster. So he's like, well, okay, I'll do, he did a, a series of movie posters. But those ones, most of those movie posters um, in the 60s are that classic 60s cartoonish mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. character, big head characterized um, versions. He did do a f- like a handful of movie posters in the more Frazetta painting style that we know. A little later with um, uh, I'm gonna f- Mad Max. The first Mad Max mm-hmm. film was his poster. Um, I'm gonna re- blank on the one with the bus on the front. You're talking about the gauntlet. The gauntlet. That's right. It's amazing. Clint Eastwood. It's an amazing Clint Eastwood. Yeah, that's right. A Clint Eastwood cover. And I think that was, I think that Clint maybe even bought that. There's a picture of Clint with him in that painting. So yeah, he did yeah. a handful of other movie posters. Um, that were very a lot more classic presented as we know it. But this is this is that kind of jokey, almost watercolor 
And I think he was doing like some of the interior comics for like Playboy magazine at this time, but also had that kind of Yeah, they had that vibe. But it was, I don't know who invented that style. It certainly wasn't him, but he, if you see that Ringo, you immediately know what that is. It's a mad, mad world and all those. It's of that time. Yeah, those crazy posters. And now everybody's got what's new pussycat stuck in their head. What, yeah. (laughs) What is that going for? Like, do- Oh, that that issue of Matt, you see, this is the thing. What an attain, this is such a great uh, piece. I grabbed it for pretty cheap. On on eBay, raw yours is comic, in good shape too. Yeah, raw comic, three fifty. You know, like like Seriously? literally three dollars and fifty cents. Like six six dollars. Like it's the highest known value, eleven dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> like that's a like, steal. It's a steal. It's a it's a fabulous wow. key issue because it's just it's it's just October issue number ninety of nineteen sixty four Mad Magazine with a you know it's a funny Alfred E Newman cover. It's an actually a pretty nice one. Mm-hmm. Um, and boom, on the back, you've got this huge bonus wow. Frizetta history. And as I say, yours is that's in really nice shape. That was a good find. I don't know, I don't remember exactly what I got it for, but it was probably around that 10, 12 dollars. Good for you. And let's talk Vampirella. Ooh, Warren and and uh yeah, well that that this is this is a classic moment of me not paying attention to what I was buying. I already know what happened here. <laughs> I'm looking at saying, wow, this is an amazing It's shape. amazing. For $25? What a steal. Um, <laughs> if you wanted to see, down here it says commemorative edition. Well, it was very fine print and it was in the middle of a show and whoops. <laughs> this happens, everybody, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's a feeling that we all know a version of it, especially yeah. these days when there are so many like commemorative ripoffs, whatever you want to word it. Well, and to be fair, that that commemorative issue, that one in front of you that was printed in, I think, January 2001, yeah. here on cover price, yeah. is listed at raw comic value of $55. Well, it's time for me to shut up then. Yeah, so 25 bucks wasn't that bad. Now, you and I have, uh, we share a, a particular feeling about this. Vampirella. Yeah, I would not say that this is my favorite Frazetta piece. My favorite in the Vampirella run would be 7, 11, and 31. Now, can you picture those? Yep. Well, I can because I can see them right here in line. <laughs> oh, you have them? Well, they're online right here. Go um, to, let's see that. Yeah. Look so at 7. 7, phenomenal. Come on. Come on. Um, actually, uh, my favorite of, of the of the Frazetta was, uh, my favorite of, if, is for sure number 11. 11 is beautiful. There, there we're getting into a lot a lot more interesting looking di- uh, dynamic layout That's in beautiful. the cover. Yeah. And, but that first one, for some reason, I just, it's not my favorite. Um, number, there's number 11. I can tell you what I don't like about it. Look at this one. This is great. This That's is, awesome. Yeah. What a great piece. Yeah. And, and, and these are, these are relatively attainable. Like, you know, yeah. 50 bucks. Compared to the number one, right? Like yeah. what's the actual number one word? Uh, number one. Uh, let's see how fast my internet goes now. Uh, zooming back and forth, raw comic estimated value at four hundred dollars. To me, that's <laughs> that's not the best. I mean, here's the thing: she, if you give me the overhead again, Nick, we'll look at her face. It's she's got that Frazetta girl face, yeah. right? She looks like they look, but it's the posture the of the leg. Posture's strange. It's it's almost like her left leg is like too yeah. short. It's or twisted the way the quad is twisted or something. But here's too. the thing: nine point six of that. Record sale nine thousand dollars. 
Wow. Wow. Well, Vampirella, very popular character yeah. for collectors. But if you can, get 7-Eleven and 31. Attainable comics. Way better deals. Uh, just a quick look at 31 before we jump over and take a look at the Yeah, quick look, look with the, the internet doing what it's doing. I will try my best. See if it works. See if it works. Yeah, I'll jump over to page two here. It's... um. And actually, to be honest, I, I've seen, you know, many of these Warren covers um, are, oh, yeah. Okay, this, this is a very specific reason why I love this one, too. 31? Luna. Because they made a movie of this That's in right. Italy. <laughs> but what's nice about that is that anytime you can get a Frazetta cat. Yes, Frazetta women you, with cats. Yeah, you've got something that you want to collect. Yeah, and this is raw comic value of $18. And that's a grab. <laughs> yeah, high, but, highest grade, typical sale, $9.6500. People listening to this might say, well, if you guys love them and they're good deals, why don't you have them? It's because you can't find them. That's right. Yeah, you go, dig, you go digging places. Um, I think... Um, Beguiling in Toronto was a great, mm -hmm. for us Canadians, that mm -hmm. was a great um, place to find a lot of this rare stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's very easy to go in there and spend hundreds of dollars, even on low grade typical buys because, you know, 10, totally. 12, 13, 15, 20. Totally. And, and I'm just going like, Frazetta, Frazetta, oh crap, I've got, you know, a $300 stack. Don't tell my wife. Um, but yeah, it's, it, you know, talk about a, a classic cover number 31 there with the cats. I mean, so good. And yeah, so as soon as you get off of a number one of a series like like Vampirella, mm -hmm. is, um, it's a lot more attainable than, than $9,000. And you're making an informed buying choice. You're not just buying something like, what's what do I get? I You know, pick it up here, there. You're getting, I know it's a Frazetta cat. And that's awesome. That's Those right. are always good. I think one of his early drawings, was it not a cat? Did we not see that in the museum? Uh, I think Why the earliest ones we saw was an airplane in like a bowl of fruit. I'm going to remember a cat. We'll talk about this off air. They're a cat. Uh, <laughs> listen, we could insert a little tour of that museum. We, we have that. We should do that later this week. We should try that. But we have another surprise coming later this week, which we'll talk about towards the end. It's time to talk about Eerie. Creepy and Eerie. Let's do Eerie first. Eerie first. I'll bring up my Eerie overall page. Because, yeah. I mean, this, and this is a great... Now, Rand, do you know why Eerie starts at issue two? Well, I do, but would you like to tell people why? No, you go ahead. I actually am asking. <laughs> Look, you, you can see, you can find Eerie 1. Is there an There's Eerie There's a one? black and white cover. It's not, it's not in this listing, though. This, this starts number two. This on. starts at two because Eerie 1, it looks like it's from another set. It doesn't look um, like a Warren, it's not a Warren Publishing. Um, you look up Eerie 1. I'll just hit it really quick here. You'll see an old black and white if i'm not mistaken hmm well they the first uh two three uh five seven eight uh those are all frazettas uh oh and and number 23 is probably one of the one of my favorite frazettas uh of all time um so let me bring that up briefly and, and to be absolutely honest with you i'm not exactly sure why the the prices on these specific eerie Books are jumping up and down so dramatically, other than maybe they are because of the Frazetta covers. It's, it's, it's Frazetta covers. It's how hard they are to get. Um, here's why the first one is missing. I'm remembering now that it was a great big weird ash can. It wasn't an actual release. Oh. It was sort of like a soft release. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and, and this is where things get kind of confusing because- A hundred percent. Eerie and- Eerie, and creepy eerie, and the other eerie. well they they 
they they started like mixing and matching which com like mm-hmm. the covers were were kind of oh it's this one's on creepy and on eerie or this mm-hmm. cover gets reused over here mm-hmm. or you know vampirella cover gets used on mm-hmm. on a creepy or an eerie as it's all they're just repurposing the same art now obviously uh, a famous piece here bring this one up on cover price there nick is um is the uh um uh, I'm going to say the wrong thing. It's the Egyptian queen. Yeah, it's the Egyptian, yeah, queen. Egyptian queen. Yeah, this is slightly better. Look at my overhead. This has got a this has got a nice re- reproduction right on the cover of one of the one of the old Frazetta. Uh, this is the Frazetta one uh, painting book. And I mean, th- I think this one sold for record number back in the day. But what Millions. an amazing piece! And 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 they specifically this is actually one of those funny scenarios where not a Conan painting, but they specifically used that feel that scene. In the John Milius Conan yep. movie, uh, because of Frizetta's tie to Conan, uh, and you can you can there is like that almost that exact frame is in the is in the Milius film with the yeah. cat on the on the floor and and a woman not exactly Egyptian queen against a pillar. What a phenomenal color, cover! And that one is a particularly it, higher valued book in Warren's world at Raw Comic of that sixty bucks. We happened to be at Comic Con that year that went up. Was it twenty fifteen? Uh, no, I think you're thinking of the uh, that was a different one. That was you're Edgar Rice Burroughs' book. At the Earth, uh, not at the Earth yeah, I think Sport. it was an Earth Core book. I think it was yeah. That one was like three million, wasn't it? Well, I think the Egyptian Queen went for five million, five point four, if I remember correctly. I don't remember the year now. I'm we should probably look that up. Two years up, mm. I think it, it it went for five point four. I'll look it up. Will you? Will you? Will you go I, on? I want to just. One? I want to. The thing about Warren Publishing is they all these magazines look vaguely the same. There was yeah. he did uh, famous monsters, famous monsters of Filmland. He did Vampirella. He had creepy, eerie, and there was something else, which I'm going to forget. But 5.4 million. There you go. Yeah. It's crazy. No but the eeries, for me, I have my notes here. The eeries that I want, as I said, were I prefer seven, which is this one. So we'll overhead this. Yeah. That one, sadly, has a stamp on the middle of it. But. It has a stamp. But this one uh, is, it's hard to keep a black comic in good shape. Yeah. This is pretty good. What did I pay for it? The price is on it. $18 at yeah, Beguiling. I, I can believe but it. But it's a beautiful piece. Absolutely gorgeous. This mm-hmm. is one of those ones you want to see the actual painting. And of. that's a wrap around, I want to say. It's, it, the painting is is very wide. Uh, the real painting. I think it actually yeah. was done for oh, as well for a book it doesn't wrap cover, this. but that obviously doesn't wrap around. It's a, it's a magazine cover. I think it's, it wraps the other way. Um, yeah, because I think the rest of the ocean is to her right, if I'm remembering correctly. And here's 81, which is wow. That by the way, that other one you just had was was it it record sales eleven hundred dollars. That's a great one because of the theme. Like, what a yeah, great idea. This is pretty funny. Yeah, it's, pretty it's sexist, of course. Sure. Um, time period. Yeah. Uh, if I I would say this, uh, if you get the joke, look what's in her hand. If you don't, yeah. Kong in her hand. Yeah. It's a nice turnaround. Why does she have to be naked? I get it. Well, One Tom of the scariest things. Do you? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> One of the things about this that, of course, she has no nipples, which is interesting. That's almost like a a classic Frazetta kind of thing in a scenario. I'm pretty sure they probably weren't allowed to have yeah. nipples on the front of the book. But also, she's got a very true to form scary foot. Look at her foot gripping. Yeah, it's gripping. It's what, very creepy. What number did you say that was? I believe it's 32, 30, uh, 81 rather. 81. I'm, gonna pull that. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go to the, zoom to 81. Yeah. I want to see what the rate is. It has a very 
like he spent some time on that one foot and the way it's gripping is ape-like. It's yeah. pretty creepy. Oh, it's a raw estimated value of 30 bucks. I mean, it's a, it's a great find just because it is, yeah. it is such a classic. It's a good cover to buy. It's a good Frazetta girl. What a great turnaround on the, on the, on the story. Um, yeah, 40 bucks. Now I mean, we have these creepies here. Yeah. Creepy. And you can't go wrong. There are a few creepies that you want more than other creepies. Mm -hmm. This is one of the creepies you want. Wolfman, werewolf. Yep. That is absolutely spectacular. This is also Warren Publishing again, obviously. Yep. Um, I like 15. Do you have 15 in here? Uh, 15 is... No, oh, there's them. Oh, yeah, there it is. 15 is, is the one. There it is. It. Yeah. There it is. I, I love the 15 for obviously the story, right? Yeah, so you're going to tell the story. I'm just going to show it. Yeah. Get a little close in. Yeah. It's got beautiful texture, hasn't it? It does have texture. I And I see, this is the problem. I don't know if this is the one where, the, the again, I'm going to say it for the 17th time in this show, the legend goes, the story yes. goes, that Frank has it was notoriously bad for not doing things far enough in advance. So he didn't, he was late at night. The, the book cover was due the next day. He literally didn't have a canvas to paint on. So he went into the, one of the kids' rooms and pulled up a chunk of floorboard and he had a piece of masonite. This is literally painted with, I would guess, maybe one or two tones of, it is of color. It like very monocolor. And if you look closely, the entire undertone of the whole thing is the masonite board. It's just wood chip pulp glued together <laughs> it's the entire so crazy it's so great and then and then you see this and i i don't I'm, I'm using this one as an example for that story only because it's so blatant and then he it does appear in in other paintings and then we were actually at um when we were at the museum i noticed it particularly in one or two paintings where you get up close and you go you know it's all rendered and then there's a the side of a boat but part of the yeah. boat is is the is the masonite tone you're just like hey he's left that little spot mm -hmm. blank to let this bleed through but what a what an amazing example of his talent using pretty much one or two colors of paint and and a piece of masonite and he tells such an amazing story i love 27 yeah what a great that's piece. so conan vibe yeah right yeah thane yeah and, um, and, and all and very um uh, uh mongolian yeah, it's it is very intense, and of course, I love this one, thirty-two. Yeah. yeah. So, Isaac, do you want to look up the values of some of these while we talk about why we love these so much? Yeah, I mean, they're on average they're like thirty bucks at raw value, ten, twelve, thirty dollars. I mean, some of the Frazetta covers are worth more than issue one and creepy, with is, good reason. Yeah, and 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 like like you were saying with this sort of the theme collecting, you can get Wolfman, you know, Dracula. Uh, Wolfman versus Dracula. Uh, uh, um, yeah, let's Frank get the overhead, monster. Nick, and I'll I'll go down through some of the ones that yeah. Isaac has brought in here. Yeah. So we got this one we don't talk about. Nine, beautiful. Yeah. There's of course you got to have four. Four is one I've been looking for a nice shape. I like this. This is a nice monster. Number ten. Yeah. Number seven. Oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, oh, I forgot about this one. Yeah. Five, that's right. Yeah, five is great. Yeah, and, and they're really on oh, average man. they're 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 not Whoop. expensive, and they're really really great 11. pieces. I mean, that's the thing about Frazetta that I love is that you can you can get the art that he was doing was intended to be printed in this form. So, yeah. 
it's, I mean, it's the same as any other illustrative work, I suppose, but it's, it's collecting these and putting them up is to me, it's almost like putting up the painting. Uh, obviously it'd be a lot nicer to put a real painting, but you know, there it's, it is. It's, it's buying something that's from late sixties, sometimes early seventies, something that is 30 or $40 that you can frame or put up in and be very proud that you have it. It's tough to find in good shape mm -hmm. often. Um, any one of these numbers, you want to get the Frazetta ones. I'm sure there are some other that are cool, but the Frazettas are particularly collectible because they're so awesome. The paintings themselves are stunning. If you get a chance to go and see them, um, yeah, why don't we just we'll say two things? Why don't we put a little tidbit in maybe a little later this week, show people what it was like at the museum. We were there with Frank Jr. and his wife, Lori, some years ago now. Mm -hmm. And we do have another special surprise. Isaac, we're going to have an interview with Sarah Frazetta from Frazetta Girls. Nice. Yes. Bring it, Sarah Frazetta being she, Frank's granddaughter. Frank's granddaughter, daughter Holly's daughter. Mm -hmm. And Holly and her daughter, Sarah, are running a business trying to get things collected together for people who have always wanted access with, you know, merch or some, you know, the most common thing that people had for years is you want a death dealer on a t-shirt, right? So sure. that's, there's some strategies around that. Um, we do have a little death dealer thing we can talk about here. If you want to just look yeah. real quick, image came out with some Frazetta stuff and this was post stroke. This, this is, is yeah. post stroke. He was practicing on this. So we're very lucky that we have these practicing this, the signature. Um, but these you can get, these image comics, we talked about them when we talked about Conan. You can get them for cover price, I believe, uh, the whole run. Yeah. And, and I think they did, a, they did a graphic novel collection because the, the idea was to basically take some of these Frazetta paintings that are almost standalone just, you know, they don't really necessarily have mm -hmm. a, a story associated mm -hmm. with them. And they're going, let's go, yes, they were done for specific books or, or, or what have you, but let's go deepen the lore of that specific mm -hmm. painting and go, let's make up a story that goes there. Personally, I've read some of them. I wasn't a huge fan, but man, the, the bar is set so high on the cover and you're trying to dig into making a story out of something that is, that is so just itself as a painting. If you're buying these, you may be buying them for the cover. Let's that's be right. honest. Yeah, and, and, and what they're, they're supposed to be for. That's right. And they're not expensive to get. So yeah. again, you can go look for the the image, Google uh, Frank Frazetta yeah. image. And yeah, and I mean, a, cu a couple other things we can talk about. Oh, um, oh look oh. at him. Here, something's happening oh, over I'm there. I'm moving things around, you see. Is that, you know, Heavy Metal Magazine. So you'd think Heavy Metal Magazine would be something that Frank would have been on. Now, these two issues here in front of me were were put out um obviously much long after he had passed away um which is sad because he really only appeared once on the cover of heavy metal during his lifetime and Rand, you have that in front of you actually i have it right here and it's the sequel to a very a very cool painting that, that we love um which is the cat girl painting come to my overhead there yeah Nick, if there you, you go would. so that's the sequel to the sequel to the cat girl painting not the one on the right the, the one on the right there is national lampoon this one here yeah, we'll so that, that, that heavy metal, I believe, was put out. What year is that one? Uh, this is 90. That's 90. Yeah, yep. so he, he was still around. Uh, so that's, I think, the... This is the one. The one and only time that he showed up uh, on the cover of heavy metal while he was still alive. But this is a buy because there's an interview, right? You that's right. You can see that yeah. at the top. Yeah. This And you can get this for how much? Do you know? 
I'm just pulling it up. I again did not have it up. I'm I am find behind the, the eight ball. There it here. is. Yeah. That unfortunately. Interview with Frazetta. Yeah. Always nice to read them. Yeah. Yeah, and he was interviewed many, many times over the years, mm-hmm. but um what what number did is that one? This is volume. 14, number five, Isaac, the 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 numeration, the numbering yeah. of heavy metals, we are having some hard well, time. Well, the thing about heavy metals uh, over the decade, over the decades of that magazine's lifespan, they would they would switch between monthly to bi-monthly and then they would do like specials and like, so it's it's an odd publication history to track. There's like something like 375 or 400 uh, issues. We have all of them here. We can go through them. Uh, let's do it on camera. Yeah, we should do it on camera right now. But I mean, the the two the two covers that I have actually here, you know, once once it was purchased, uh, heavy metal was purchased more recently. You go to my overhead camera here. Um, uh, in in recent years, these Gorgeous. have come out. Uh, I can't seem to find a year on this one for some reason. 2017. Um, this painting in particular, stunning. Uh, it's this is only a portion of it. Uh, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. But it's a fantastic big shape in the mm-hmm. in the in the way that this is and it's sort of you know it's obviously satan and there's just an amazing amount of an orgy of very sexual beings happening all the way down we know a story on and that. there's a story around it <laughs> is that uh frank's wife uh ellie did not want this painting uh in the studio she thought that it was um you know it could have had some some bad things associated with it it's possible too that it was uh, did, did we not hear that he was revising it quite a bit? That at it, one point was, it was more sexual. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, and it and it and it is quite explicit if you dig into sections mm-hmm. of it. But he's very very careful mm-hmm. in how that because obviously it was a book cover um, originally, uh, and that one it was sitting on the easel at the museum when we went for that reason because it was it wasn't hung up on the wall. Mm-hmm. It was the one that wasn't supposed to be. And obviously when they reprinted the Death Dealer on. Yeah. On heavy metal, that's a great one. This is also this is. I just wanted to throw this in there real quick because this is just a funny thing I came across and don't know a tremendous amount about it to be honest with you. But this is like sometime in the '90s when they decided to do this interesting fantasy collected book, but it was called Frank Frazetta Fan- Fantasy Illustrated, and it's like a collection of fantasy. There's Richard. Yeah, there we go. Elf Quest is in here. Richard and Wendy. Pink. Wow. Uh, there's just really interesting stuff. Uh, it's sort of like a another version of a heavy metal. Uh, it's selling some Frank Frazetta um, statues. Oh, look, there's there's, uh, there's Richard Corbin's in here, and I imagine you can get that for oh, this price was this less. was like ten bucks. Or whatever. And it, and I love this painting though. This is we're getting we're gonna get further mm-hmm. into the weeds with the paintings here briefly. But you know, obviously Frank was known for all these these book cover paintings. But you remember this, Fran, when we were in the yes, museum, I do. and and um, and and I don't want to take it away from. I won't say the answer to the to the question, <laughs> but. Uh, because, because anybody who goes to the museum, I think, is asked the same question: What is wrong with the painting? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something might be missing mm-hmm. in the logic of the mm-hmm. painting. Uh, it's a snowmobile. It's for a one snowmobile. Thing. Yeah. For one thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We won't tell them what. We it won't is. tell them the answer. We'll let it be. It'd be hard to drive. Put it that way. Yeah, that, but that's a good way to put it. This idea that we're out there buying comic books that represent. What is probably he is the greatest artist in fantasy. Yeah, he influences people like Neil Adams, who become some of the greatest comic artists of their times. Um, at during the same time that that Frank is working, what is it? Do you think that why didn't he stay in comics? Was it because the movie posters and the money? Was it 
that he looked down on the medium. Is there any way to speculate how I, it didn't work out? I mean, I think that also, well, you pointed out the fact that comics wasn't wasn't in a great place yet um, and in some of that, that era that he's working in. Mm-hmm. He did go, obviously he was ghosting for Al Cap. He did, um, I want to say it's like a Johnny Comet or something. He did that sort of strip on his own. He did some other kind of kiddie stuff. He did want to tell stories with illustration, right. but I don't know if it would be a personal, like, like obviously you could tell he loves what he's doing on that canvas um, and the and Mace Knight board. Um, and it, it, I don't know what, whether it's just a personal preference that once he got there, cause, cause obviously the business just took him that direction. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he had many different options in his life. He was, he was a very, very good baseball player and could have gone pro <laughs> and you're kind of going, yeah, that option, or he could yeah. have gone this way. And for whatever reason, he just landed in this, world of doing these these paintings that for a long time were kind of you know the the art elites put up their noses and anything that was illustrated uh for books um for 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 hire so but obviously you know he was a a a late great master if not a reincarnated one (laughs) it's true and and i think maybe the point is in comic books some of the skill set that he had, yeah. right? He could easily have done that work. That's right. But it was something that didn't hit him the same place as the big painting vibe. Like the stuff that he did in the paintings was more about a painting. It was more impactful as a painting. Yeah. And to go and do the sequential art, maybe that just wasn't what he was into at some point and thought, I can do these big paintings. And he seemed to have an interest in Hollywood and movies as well, right? We know that. Well, exactly. I mean, the thing, the thing that's, and, and without going too deep into the paintings themselves, that, that what, he was, what he was able to do in storytelling in a single image um, is, is, is almost unrivaled in, in, in other artists and their ability to, to just compact this feeling. And yet, if you really break it down, it's actually kind of rough and simple and rough well, around the edges. It's not super refined much like a boris vallejo which, which comes around like it's, a little bit later he boris gets, is more mannered he's much more detailed yes. he's he's refining every single element but there's something gut level ethereal whatever you want to you know throw at it in terms of descriptive words that yeah. that just hit people you know somewhere in the fields with with what he was doing in it's, painted it's art. muscular it's sensual, yeah. like it's powerful. The fact that you can get comic books that give you access to what would be great master work. Yeah. By the way, there are a lot of comic artists like this. He was of a time and place that, you know, particularly talented, particularly influential. When we go to talk about other artists, we can see that they benefited from coming after him potentially and looking at his work. And he's got, Frank has fans to this day collecting his material as best they can. Some of it is very expensive, as we know. But the ideas, some of the things that make him what he was, aren't known to younger collectors sometimes, right? Well, exactly. I mean, it's it's funny because so many people we've interviewed over the the decades uh, would say in many, many different fields, you know, Frank, 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 mm-hmm. is this, this mm-hmm. you know, that is their inspiration. But yet... Sometimes, yeah, you would find yourself trying to explain to somebody who and why I is know. Frank important. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute. You know, yeah. They, so in a way, he deserves to be way more in the forefront of pop culture, history of pop culture illustration uh, in general. 
and I think, again, lots of people would say he already is. He's yeah, sure. beloved and well-known. But I wonder if there's a group of people, particularly in comics, who who don't really have the same uh, interaction with his work in the way that maybe we're hoping they do, especially if they see this. And we went through quickly. We spent less time with cover price today. We spent more time wanting to talk about it and pull things out and right. show examples. And I have to say, you have a lot of beautiful stuff here, so you must be feeling very happy to have it. Yeah, and I mean, we were talking about this before we recorded that we're we can push this podcast into different collecting uh, fields, toys, games, mm-hmm. different things, and and one of the big collections that that Rand and I both share are the soft cover um, books and some hardcover books that that he was well known for, uh, and I'd love to get down into that into that history because then you can really break down. And obviously, cover price doesn't get into that, but you can really look at what he like when it when it really was working and sometimes it wasn't you know working the best but idea yeah exactly maybe we should have we have the key issue the definitive podcast why don't we have another definitive podcast where we look at other pop culture stuff that we like we're acting like this is pre-set but it's not we should do this we should just do this and toys you know i know you you have a passion for toys (laughs) you're really hard to do cars like real cars you know if we collected cars you know, ironically, uh, w- one of the producers right now, Nick, is a car guy. He would probably love that. But I think, you know, we could look at movies that we think are important. We could look at even music because as filmmakers, we have to always be, dr- I'm hitting the mic, we have to draw in so much material. We right. sort of have to be cognizant of the the different media that we pull together. So if people assume we've done a lot of research and studies for our documentaries, maybe we could enlist some of that material and keep the kind of, hey, what, what about this? Hey, look at this. Hey, look at that. Like Brian Froud the, maybe doesn't get the love. Exactly. You know, we could start to yeah. talk about different artists. Anyway, listen, we have to wind this up. I'm making new hand gestures. Yeah. Isaac, what are you going to do as a hand gesture for the end Well, the I'll continue with this, ro- this moving thing. You're going yeah. that way. I'll go this way. Okay. So let's say that we are convincing people that coverprice.com is where you go to check your comics worth you can set up your wish list, yep. which we have obviously loaded with Frazettas today. <laughs> Go get those Frazettas if you see them out there. And if you do see them out there, why don't you send us a little email and let us know where well, you are. went and what you mm-hmm. got? I'm curious. Oh, I could. Should we should we reveal any secrets? There's a really good place for books down in in Las Vegas of all places. Don't tell them about that <laughs> place. We'll be down there again someday when this is all. The COVID is done. Uh, so we're going to stop now. I'm Randall Lobb. I'm Isaac Late Fisher. Brought to you by our friends at Cover Price, C-O-V-R-P-R-I-C-E.com. And special thanks to them for hosting some of these shows now. Please reach out to us. Let us know what you'd like to see moving forward. Thank you and have a great week. Thank you.